Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. And hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 56. Um, After a week off, it's good to be back with you once again. Um, And speaking of that, you might be checking out this episode having missed the last episode or uh, didn't catch any of uh, the posts on social media about this. But you may be wondering, why wasn't there an episode last week? And uh, just to kind of reiterate, at least for right now, the episodes are going to continue, but on probably more of a bi-weekly basis. Uh, and, and I wouldn't even like schedule that. I will always do my best to let you know when the next episode is coming up. Uh, for example, we, we do have one today, of course, and, um, then in two weeks there will be another episode. So definitely on July 23rd, you'll be able to hear episode 57, but probably going to be a week off in between. And and I have to say just personally, (laughs) this is kind of what I needed. Um, I just started rehearsing, Uh, week one music rehearsals for the show Something Rotten at Winston-Salem Theater Alliance. Um, That's not a show I'll be playing on. They they do use tracks, and I will say they're very good tracks. Um, But it's a great cast. Uh, It's it's more than 20 in the cast. I might be even close to 30 um, really talented actors and and vocalists. And so that's, that's off to a very good start. And then on the last podcast, I went over some other things that are that are going on. Some new things are in the works I can't really talk about at this point. But um, yeah, it's become a challenge just to find a few days here and there to, to work on the podcast. But uh, I definitely want to keep it going, especially in light of the fact that uh, Life in the Pit was named as one of the 20 best podcasts about musical theater. I think I think actually the way that was worded was we were one of the 20 best musical theater podcasts in the year 2021. And that was uh, according to Welp Magazine, and you can look that up online. Um, I know I've also posted about it on our Facebook page and uh, the Twitter page, and at, at least as of the day this episode is coming out, um, it's still in the Instagram bio, the link for that. But if you catch this even like Saturday or Sunday, I'm probably going to change that back to the normal website. But if you go to Facebook page, you can find it and you probably even Google it. If you just say um, Welp Magazine, or you may not not even need to do that. Just uh, 20 best musical theater podcasts in 2021. Probably going to be on that first page of results. So anyways, I was very honored. That was a complete surprise. I had no idea... Uh, that it, that anybody was even paying attention. And I believe that's a, a UK magazine. And um, so just thank you out there for noticing the podcast and giving mention to it. And thank you to all of you for listening. Um, because w- without your support, without your ratings, reviews, and, and all of that, this podcast, it would not have a reason to keep going. And so... You guys give me a reason to keep this going, and that's good because it allows me to introduce you to guests like the one we have today in Laura Sherman. Laura is the second harpist we've had on this show, and she has 
she hasn't done a lot of shows on Broadway, but she's done some pretty big ones. Like she was the harpist for Wicked on Broadway for many years. And also we talk about the interesting thing about Hamilton. She plays on the cast recording. If you've heard Hamilton cast recording, and I would say odds are you probably have if you're listening to the show, uh, she plays the harp. If you've ever gone to the show of Hamilton, though, there there is no harpist. And so we're going to talk about that that interesting dilemma. She no longer lives in New York, but now uh, is a lecturer at the University of Miami in music theory and in harp performance. And she has also written quite a few articles, uh, one of them for Harp Column magazine uh, just a few years ago, all about harpists that were currently playing on Broadway. And I believe there were five of them at the time. And uh, that's a really fascinating article, if you can find that. Um, We referenced it quite a bit in our conversation. But it was that article that led me to seek out Laura for this interview, and she w- she was very accommodating, and it was it's just been fascinating to talk to someone who played in not one but two of maybe the most iconic shows of the century so far with Wicked and Hamilton, and or I mean just to have anything to do with that, and uh, so we're going to talk about that and more. So here's my conversation with Laura Sherman. Laura, thank you for taking time to talk to me today. Um, I hope you're doing well. I'm doing very well. Thank you. And thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really touched. I'm honored to be here. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. It's definitely my pleasure. And again, as uh, I mentioned to you before we started recording, that um, you, you've been mentioned before, if not by name, uh, by, by deed, <laughs> and that is that you are the original harpist for Wicked. And um, and you've also done several other things that we'll we'll get into. But um, why don't we just start with? Uh, so we know that you've played music in New York. Uh, are you from New York or are you from somewhere else? So I'm originally from somewhere else, um, from the Norfolk, Virginia Beach area in Virginia, where I started playing the harp. And um, I actually won an audition to to play in New York when I was 19 years old to do it. It's called the National Orchestral Association. It's like the New World Symphony, um, but it was in existence long before that. So I moved to New York 1985 Mm -hmm. and stayed for 34 years. Wow. So pretty much my entire adult life and um, was very fortunate, worked really hard. And then a position came up of both harp and music theory because I have a degree in music theory, as well as several in harp performance, um, to teach at the University of Miami at the Frost School of Music. Uh, so I moved to Miami two years ago after a long time in New York City. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, so what's what's it like now in Miami? Uh, how's how's that different for you? How's that different? Um I'm loving it. Right. I mean, I love living in New York uh, as well. It's obviously much different with the semi-tropical climate and plants and trees and and growing all kinds of things, including we're growing mangoes and guava and our own tomatoes and herb gardens and roses. I'm trying to grow roses. It's not always easy with the climate here, Uh, but that's really nice. And then the Frost School of Music is just excellent. It's the quality of students and wonderful colleagues. So um, I'm enjoying all the outdoor activities. I've gotten back into sculling again, which is like rowing, you know, with a really long, thin boats because there's just water everywhere here and sailing. Right. And so it's a much different lifestyle. Um, but again, I love both places dearly. Right, right. I'm originally from Florida, but I'm from 
<laughs> I'm from far enough in Florida, you wouldn't think it was in the same state. It's 600 miles away. It's in the panhandle, <laughs> the northwest yeah. Uh, portion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, Big state. Yeah. Uh, but I imagine winters are a lot more pleasant for you now. <laughs> Very much so. I, I was a happy day when I donated my snow shovel to the Goodwill in New York City. So right. here, you, you can have this now. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm. I don't think it's ever snowed there. I mean, it's snowed in the Panhandle, like maybe it, it dusts the ground. You might even get an inch once every decade. But uh, yeah, down in Miami, I can't imagine that it's ever done anything other than maybe you might see flurries that don't stick. But <laughs> I haven't been here long enough to see that. But it certainly right. is very pleasant most of the winter months down here. Right. So I feel like we, we sort of covered it, you know, you, you got into kind of, we talked about how you got into New York, but how did you, how did you come to choose the harp? How old were you when you got started? <laughs> um, actually, the harp kind of chose me or more specifically, my band and orchestra director said, here, here's a book. There's a, there's a harp in the closet. Here's a tuning key. Go figure it out. Cause she, right. she knew I was a pianist for, since I was a little kid. And, and I played, uh, tried to play a lot of different instruments in band and orchestra and, so um, she she put me <laughs> she uh, edit this out please. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so my band and orchestra director, she, it's really um, her fault that I'm playing the harp, but I'm very thankful to her for that. Right. At what point did you decide that the harp was going to be something that you were going to pursue on a professional basis? So again, I, I credit a, a teacher for that. I, you know, since I was a little girl when I was six years old, and I heard a live piano being played. Uh, my second grade teacher, she sat us down and said, here, this is live music. And I tugged on her skirt and I said, I want to do that. So since I was six, I wanted to be a concert pianist. But right. then when I went to my piano teacher and I said, hey, I have this opportunity to learn the harp and I'm getting ready to go to college and I'm not sure what to do. I really want to be a concert pianist. She said, go play the harp. Right. <laughs> she made that decision for me, which nice. again, I'm very thankful for, but um, it wasn't easy. The piano came fairly, you know, I worked really hard, of course, but it just was a more natural instrument for me. The harp, I feel like I wasn't proficient at until right. about maybe 20 years in, you know, to be really, right. really good at an instrument. It just didn't come naturally, but I worked hard at it. Right. I don't think I asked this to, the, uh, to Grace, our previous guest uh, who played the harp. Seems like in the professional world, you know, it, it, I, I know musicians, we all support each other, but also sometimes like we're trying to get a job and there's only room for one of us, <laughs> you know, in that job. And, and, but I think in that regards, harp, of course, um, has way less supply than say a trumpet player, you know, or a violinist, you know, or many other instruments, or especially I'm a pianist, you know, way, way lower supply than a pianist. Um, but I know also lower demand, you know, there's not as many shows that call for a harp. Uh, in fact, you know, one, one of the shows you played for, um, it doesn't call for a harp, but they used a harp <laughs> in the cast recording. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, but, but I wonder, is that ratio still is it at the right sweet spot that if you're proficient at your instrument, there's still plenty, plenty of gigs that you can get as a harpist. Yeah, that's that's an excellent question. And there are a couple of different parts to it, if you don't mind me just sure. Go ahead. taking it like that. So uh, the first thing is when I was coming up, 
um, I was actually, before I got my show, before I got Wicked, mm-hmm. um, I was subbing on five shows at once. Mm. And, and so that, that was, a, that was considered a pretty lucky time, but not atypical. Right. Then of course, as synthesizers got, um, you know, even more and more popular and, and more attention to finances by producers and things, it was, there are fewer and fewer shows right. with heart. Uh, in fact, the article that you referred to in the heart column, we actually talk about that there was a four-day period, I think it was in 2017, where there were five harps on Broadway at once, but it just happened to be because a couple of shows are getting ready to close and one had just opened. So right. so um, when Broadway starts again, which thank goodness is uh, is supposed to be in September of this year, right. their number was our opening, Wicked has harp and uh, Phantom of the Opera will also continue to have harp. And then there's a new show that's coming to Lincoln Center in November that's called Flying Over Sunset, which will also have harp. So there's only three, which these days is considered a lot. So that's so unfortunately, not every show has harp, even revivals that come back. Sometimes they reorchestrate them and eliminate the harp parts, which is really unfortunate because some of those old harp parts are just so glorious. Um, So. And then there is an increase, not only in the number of people who are studying harps, but in how good they are. Right. <laughs> Recently, I was asked to be the ju- one of the judges for the American Harp Society's national competition, um, not the most advanced, but up until age 18, which is like second advanced level. And I, I was in, uh, so impressed with, I had, there were 35 applicants and it was just such a hard decision because there's so many incredibly mm-hmm. young, talented harpists right. up and coming, you know, so there's this big demand, uh, not as great a demand on Broadway, but you never know what the future, you know, holds, but outside of Broadway, there's all kinds of creativity of using the harp in new ways that even when I was younger, it wasn't being done. You know, right. I did a little bit of it, like with rock groups or, um, you know, all kinds of indie groups and things like that, uh, people starting their own combos or or, or groups, you know, uh, I mean, there's just so many um, wonderful possibilities for young people now, too. So it's kind of a mixed bag right now, but certainly in terms of Broadway, there are not a lot of jobs, but um, hopefully in the future, there'll be more and more. We'll see. Right. I think if you're, you know, if you're a young person that's at a, at a symphonic concert or any kind of concert, where there might be a harp, um, harp has got to rank, if not at the very top, one of the top most visually striking instruments. <laughs> uh, I used to play French horn, and you know, I, and we used to play for schools, and uh, there'd be a an instrument demo time, you know, and uh, the conductor would say, "Hold up your instrument and hold up the French horn," and <laughs> and you could hear the ooze, but. Uh, we didn't have a harp in that group. I imagine the harp would have gotten bigger ooze <laughs> if we'd done that. So um, it, it's one of those, you know, and that's the thing a keyboard cannot do if you're if you're trying to get some visual element. And of course, that's the problem in theater is that, um, with a few exceptions, we're trying to hide the instruments. That's why they're in a pit to begin with. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but uh, sometimes they're on stage. But it seems seems like if especially. If that's the case, you you want to have the harp. I think sometimes, like the Fantastics, will try to put the musicians where they can be seen. Exactly. You know, just exactly. just because you've got that uh, on there. Um, but yeah, talking about low demand for harps, um, you know, I've I've had ten continuous years of music directing. I've only used a live harpist once, and that was for Pippin. And uh, uh-huh. that was oh, the, like the, like the, and we did the original version. You know, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, 
So when was your so was Wicked your first show or did you have any experience in school any any pit experience? Yeah, so I had a little baptism by fire mm-hmm. in high school. I had only been playing the harp a, a year or two, I think, and and right. <laughs> that they wanted to do Mame, right. there was the show Mame, and and so they again they just handed me the harp parts. I figured. <laughs> figure it out and it's one of those shows that that does have a lot of pedal changes so i'm not sure if i should take a moment to explain to your audience what that means um is that a good idea yeah yeah, go ahead okay so unlike the piano where you for the sharps and flats for your accidentals you use the black keys with the harp we actually have seven pedals that we use with our feet um three on the right and four on wait three on the left four on the right and um all the sharps and flats are are done that way so it's seven pedals with three slots so right. flat, natural, and sharp. So your feet are constantly moving. So when you go from one key to another key, you you make all those changes with your feet. So Mame just happened to have one of those harp parts where instead of even listing every single individual harp change, they'd say, go from D flat major, you know, go to A major, you know? Oh, and so they didn't even write it out. And so I just had to figure it out on the fly and figure out how to play, you know, like at a pit orchestra and do all that very quickly. So, but I loved it. It was a great experience. But my entire life, once I decided to be a harpist, I always wanted to be an opera harpist. Mm. That was my goal. I'd always had this, you know, when I finally said, okay, I can do this. Um, I, I wanted to be in a pit and I love opera, you know, mm-hmm. but as it turns out, it, it, musical theater is like opera. It's just the style of music is different. Right. You know, you're putting on a show. You're in this big, wonderful community of creative people with costumes and lights and and music and singing and dancing. So I feel very fortunate that I ended up um, uh, on Broadway. It was just a different musical style than I expected, but I absolutely fell in love with it once I became involved in it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Opera got mentioned in the last episode. It was, uh, it was the Poulenc Opera. And I'm I'm not thinking of the it's a dialogue uh, I can't think of the name of it but but the harp is featured instrument during like the guillotine scene it's like the guillotine comes down and the harp glisses <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah there's a good there's a good spot in uh, Suar Angelica the Puccini too where she drinks the the poison right and the harp has the theme there wow. <laughs> so I always love it when these unconventional choices usually it's right. all about love and heaven. Right, and things like that. So well, you know, my uh, so my, and poison or right. My, uh, <laughs> so my background prior to doing any kind of shows is film music. I I studied film music for my master's degree, and 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 I've been like such a fan of film music my whole life. And I don't I don't know if you're familiar with the scores of Bernard Herrmann or not, but you know he's uh, you know Hitchcock's go-to composer for the '50s and early '60s. And he's one of the very few composers who's ever worked in Hollywood who uh, refused to let anybody else orchestrate his music. And a lot of times composers, they don't have that choice because they don't they're not given the time. Bernard Herrmann was able to always negotiate enough time to write the the music. So like even John Williams, the great John Williams, who can write concert music all on his own that sounds like his film music still has an orchestrator, you know, uh, handling that. But, um, and, and these orchestrators will tend to make conventional decisions, but Bernard Herman, he has like, there's some score that he used 13 harps. And, oh, I, I love it. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm trying to wonder why 13, you can cover everything with 12. <laughs> if you really need it. Um, but, but yeah, he, um, like there's a twilight zone episode that he did called little girl lost. And it's really fascinating. You can go on YouTube 
and and you can find his score for that with uh, or you can you can listen to the music and follow along the written score but it's really unconventional it's it's like t- three or four flutes uh two or three harpists i can't remember um string section and it's like and, and it's like chamber strings you know like like maybe two on a part or something like that it's it's nothing it's nothing you would have expected to hear to hear in television in 1959 1960 and it's just really wild composition but um <laughs> You know, one of the Hitchcock movies that my wife and I love is The Trouble with Harry. Uh, oh, I haven't seen that one. Oh. Yeah, that was his first collaboration with Hitchcock. And um, th- there's this there's this closet where they, they've hidden something, and the closet door is, you know, keeps opening on its own. And every time it does, there's like this three-note motive in the harp at the very bottom end. It's just like... Doom, doom, doom. <laughs> it just rings. <laughs> seems like it rings for days, you know. So, uh, yeah, his his music is great for, I, I think, just for hearing what harp can do in film and so forth. So, yeah, yeah, that's great. That's that's interesting because on Broadway, very often um, the orchestrators will be different from the composers, right? As well, right? Yeah, just like film. Um, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go out of order here. Uh, sometimes, sometimes I uh, I ask listeners, you know, on Facebook to provide me if they have any questions. And sometimes I get those at the end, and we've already answered them. So I thought I'd just go ahead and insert some of these here. Uh, now, now some of these I won't ask because they were they were a little silly. Like because I mentioned the you know Wicked, and I mentioned about Hamilton. Uh, I, I guess maybe we first, should first talk about about that. Um, but no, I think it is. It gets mentioned in the question, so never mind. We'll we'll, we'll just we'll cover this as we as we go. Uh, yeah, some some people had some funny jokes involving defying gravity and, <laughs> okay. and all that. Um, but I will ask this one. This is a, a this is just asking for your opinion, and this is something that gets debated in your theater experience. Is there a better first act closing song than Defying Gravity? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm a little prejudiced. Yeah. I got to listen to that for 15 years, you know. Um, it, it's stunning. And uh, I actually only saw the show a couple of times, and I waited a very long time mm-hmm. after we opened to see it because I was a little hesitant. You know, I didn't, right. <laughs> in case for some reason I didn't like it or something, and then I'd have to go back and play it. But um, it, it really is impressive. I I can't comment. I haven't heard every single Broadway show right. ever. You know, and it would be a little irresponsible. But it's one of my all time favorite. Right. Well, the only one that that ever really gets pitched pretty hard for that category is One Day More from Les Miserables and mm. um of course that's probably I don't think that's a harp show but <laughs> no, no, no. But... yeah I, I, I will go back and forth we'll talk more about Wicked but let's talk a little bit about Hamilton because this question kind of leads into it so I mentioned that you played um that you played the harp on the Hamilton cast recording that's right um but the show itself, if you've ever gone to see it, does not use a harp. It's been relegated to the keyboard. So the question that was that was posed here from a listener is: uh, so the Hamilton recording and not any other shows were there? Were there a lot of other instrument different? Sorry, were there a lot of other instrumentation differences between that recording and the show? And do you know of any other? differences no. okay no um, i was i was the only yeah i was the only change and there's a bit of history behind that if i if yeah I yeah let's talk so, so let's talk about hamilton so how did uh 
so so just how did that come come to be you know, and what was it like doing a cast recording like that yeah sure i'll start with your second question first <laughs> and that was it was one of the absolute highlights of my life nice. um so how it came about is that um alex lackamore the music director and orchestrator for hamilton he was our original key one mm -hmm. uh, player on wicked and then he became our music director after our original music director at wicked left mm -hmm. so uh, i knew alex very very well and We'd heard each other's playing for many years. And so um, when he orchestrated Hamilton, he, like, as you said, he included harp in the second keyboard book. Right. Um, and one of the reasons for that was that they are in a very small uh, theater. Is it the St. James Theater, I think? And it's just right. a very old theater with a very small pit. So there only are, I believe, 10 musicians, and there just wasn't room for the harp in there. Right. Um, so uh, unfortunately, in the, all the live productions, there there is no live harp, no real harp, um, right. but it's on key two. It's, and I have to say, as much as I wish it was live harp there, the sounds that they can get these days on synthesizers, right. unfortunately, unfortunately and unfortunately, right. they're, they're pretty darn good. The, the glisses are the only thing that you just go, mm sometimes right. but um but it's really high quality sounds and i've even had people say oh you sounded great in the pit tonight and i was like right. i'm in the pit at wicked i'm not in the pit right. because they hear it so so when um alex uh, when it was time to do the, the broadway cast recording he reached out to me and said hey you know please can you do this we would love to have live harp uh, on the cast recording um but i am the, it's the only change otherwise it's all the original musicians who have been doing it already what is it a year i think it was because it started at the public theater right and then it came to broadway and then they did the cast recording so i i basically had a couple of sessions to to try to fit in with all these phenomenal musicians and and alex who i have to say alex lackamore is one of if not the best musician i've ever worked with in my entire life and mm -hmm. he taught me so much um about not only just general musicality but especially about rhythm rhythm right. and rhythmic playing um nice. i don't know if you know but the heart book at wicked is considered part of the rhythm section okay nice. <laughs> and i actually had to, i was asked to go to the rhythm section rehearsals before the full orchestra but you know during before previews and all the guitar players when i walked in rolling my harp across the the room said what are you doing here and i said i'm part of the rhythm section <laughs> Like nice. get out of here! But nice. we all became good buddies. So, um, nice. so and also in Hamilton, I think you know Alex had that experience of hearing the harp as a rhythm instrument, and so he he play, he uses a lot of rhythmic things and melodic things and tonal color things as well. So he did a brilliant job at orchestrating it. Right uh, now, so when you came in for the the cast recording. Um, I know that if you're writing out a heart part for a keyboardist, you tend to write it the way a pianist would look at it. But uh, did, did he write it out so that it was idiomatic for a harpist? Uh, yeah, so 99.5% of it yeah. worked extraordinarily well. Again, he's right. brilliant, not only as a player, but as an orchestrator, music director. Um, the only thing that didn't, um, and I think it is because on the keyboard you can do it in time, but on the harp you can't because of the pedals. Um, there's there are several glisses in a row in Hurricane um, that you right. can't, all the pedals, or a lot of pedals need to be changed between each of the glisses. Right. And you can't do that in real time. Right. 
you know, so it's not a deficiency on Alex's part at all. It's just like, well, you know, this is going to be for keyboards. So let me just write it this way. So the way that we recorded it is I would do the first class, stop the recording, change the pedals, <laughs> do the second one, et cetera. Right. Um, you know, uh, but that's the only spot that I, that we had to work out. Everything else was perfect on the heart. Right. And I, I think what I'll do is just elaborate to the listeners kind of where, where I was coming from on that. Um, and it relates to what you talked about earlier. You know, the, the harp is a, it's an interesting instrument. It's, it's, it's not really a true chromatic instrument because you can't do 12 notes, uh, you know, at one time <laughs> you, you can do seven notes at a time, but you can shift them to various combinations. Uh, you know, all the, all the combinations of seven, <laughs> seven notes that you can have, you know, with different letters. Um, but one of the things, like if you're playing piano and you get a B, uh, sorry, a B major chord, that's B, D sharp, F sharp, and you don't want to see it any other way. Uh, like you would never put B, E flat, F sharp. That looks strange. Like what kind of chord is this? But that's exactly what a harpist might see based on where you're coming from and going to afterwards. Like if you're in, say that occurs in the key of E flat major, well, you know that, why why make the E natural and make the D sharp? You've already got the E flat and so forth. So these are, it's it's things I think harpists think about. Like you, you wouldn't flinch if you saw a B, E flat, F sharp, you figure that's B major. But like if you're a pianist, it's like, it, that's so strange. Just a kind of a foreign concept there. But yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And um, for us, it's all about efficiency of pedals, as you can imagine. Because not right. only logistically, but also because the harp has so much resonance, right. you want to keep your pedal changes to a minimum because every time you change them, you either have to dampen things so that you don't hear, hear any extraneous noise um, or you just find inharmonic ways of doing it, which is what, what you're talking about. Instead of changing it to D sharp, go ahead and use the E flat. So very often I, I talk to a lot of composers um, about how to orchestrate for the harp and I'm just over and over again, I said, do not be afraid to think inharmonically. That's really going to be your key, uh, you know, your key. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. going to be the way for you to to get around things and to also get over there's a there's kind of a uh, reluctance or a little bit of anxiety, I think, for some composers and orchestrators if they haven't written for harp a lot. But right. once you start thinking in harmonically and not be be um, afraid to use these right. enharmonics, it just opens up a whole new world. And even like with Cassandos and what's called bisbigliando, which is right. <laughs> a big word, but it's just you're doubling two or three notes enharmonically, and it's this magical sound that only the harp can do. Right. So there are a lot of positives to it as well. It's just becoming uh, accustomed to thinking enharmonically. Right. Uh, Hamilton had one more question. Uh, the, uh, the question was, I'm curious if that original harp part gets used anywhere other than Broadway. Uh, and he said, I know that the touring version, um, the, uh, is that one, one that's licensed in Australia and New Zealand has the harp in the keys. Uh, have you heard of that harp making it past the cast recording in any other productions? I, I have not. And, okay. and I doubt it will. I know that they're, um, they're so well organized with Hamilton and all the offshoots and everything. I suspect that once something gets put in place, it remains in place. Uh, you know, I have not heard of anything, not any live performances or anything. Um, kind of, we have kind of the opposite uh, situation with Wicked, unfortunately. So, you know, of course, Wicked has live harp since the beginning, but 
they uh, immediately reorchestrated it after we opened so mm-hmm. that all of the touring companies go out without Harp, right. which is unfortunate. In the very beginning, I, I would get emails from Harpers saying, hey, Wicked's coming to my hometown. I, I think I'm going to get the call. And, and I would have to be the one to say, I'm really sorry, but they cut the Harp yeah. from the touring version. So it's really unfortunate. You know, it's kind right. of the opposite situation. Yeah. Um <laughs> I just have to I have to read this comment from my friend Neil. Uh, so uh, it goes, I love everything the harp does in the Fantastics. Every time I've done that show, it just mesmerizes me and puts me in a trance. Which, if you have lines, could be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's great. It's such a great part. We're so fortunate to have that. It, you know, it's considered the the longest running off Broadway show. Right. Um, you know, it, and it it end up closing and then coming back and we'll see what happens um, once Broadway and Off-Broadway are going again in the fall. Um, so uh, I, I was asking these questions and, and just see if there's any, any answers you might have. Um, what are some of the most surprising shows to you that actually have harp books? Are there any shows that you're like, okay, I, I, I'm surprised that has a harp. Oh, wow. That's a fantastic question. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna say no right. um just because nothing comes to mind i mean right. being a part of the rhythm section at wicked was a surprise right but there are other you know he the orchestrator um uh, da- uh william david braun he used it in a lot of different ways so it's not surprising that it's there it's just surprising that it's a rhythm section instrument so sorry i don't have an oh, answer oh for no that. that's fine uh and actually i guess it really uh the, the second thing was just uh, an extension of that but the last question i think let me just double check yeah this will be the last question from a listener um do any shows ever call for different kinds of harp ever than a concert harp Yes, they do. In fact, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Um, I think it was around 2012. Um, a harp and an Irish harp or okay. lever harp. Yeah. So sometimes they'll have multiple ones. And I and I this is actually quite common in the studios in L.A. Right. Like you, I, my, I have a lot of friends out there and, and they'll say, yeah, I've got three harps today, you wow. know, and they'll, they'll post pictures of three different harps. And wow. um, so I think it's more common there because um you know every additional instrument you play on broadway due to union rules you get paid extra money so the only unusual combination we ever had during my time uh on broadway is i subbed at music man Mm -hmm. and the harp chair had a double with synthesizer because we had to play the synthesized bass bass drum notes like when the band sections came Mm. and we literally it's like one fingered boom Boom, boom, boom. And we got paid double for that. Wow. (laughs) No tuning, no schlepping, you know. So that was that was a lot of fun. Grace Paradise, my mentor, uh, my Harpist Broadway Harpist mentor, she had that show. And she's a person who took over for me um at Wicked when I left as well. And that was just so much fun to play. (laughs) Nice. Um so I mentioned to you before, so the, one of the things that uh, that led me to asking you to be on this show was uh, an article that you wrote for Harp Column magazine, which was uh, their 25th anniversary issue, and it was, um, it was in the July-August 2018 uh, edition, and you talked about the Harp on Broadway, and uh, and it's a very good uh, good article. Um, you actually shared a, an online link with me and I'll put that in the show notes so people can go check that out as kind of a supplement uh, for our conversation uh, when this episode is released 
you had some had some fun things in here. Um, w- one of the things that you talked about is expect the unexpected. What what are just some surprises, some some things that have popped up during shows for you? Wow. Uh, <laughs> how much time do you have? <laughs> no, it's it's actually really interesting. You know, um, playing the same music every night, eight mm-hmm. show, you know, eight shows a week, right? And I happen right. to do what did for 15 years. You would think that it would be the same, right? But right. If you, but in reality, every single show is slightly different, right. okay? And what I mean by that is that you have the different combinations of, of um, musical subs in the pit, you have different swings who are on stage, you know, so, um, and people do things slightly different differently. So when I would go into the show, I, First of all, I should probably back up a little bit and just say, did you know that I was not in the pit at Wicked? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so maybe I should talk about that because that's part of the unexpectedness. Is, um, right. Part of the, the scenery for Wicked goes down through the middle of the pit and takes up a lot of real estate. So mm-hmm. they ended up having to put me and the percussionist in uh, rooms outside of the pit in separate rooms. So Mm -hmm. we're actually on stage level in what's considered stars dressing room. Like uh, Yul Brenner was in my dressing room and Elaine Stritch, you know? Um, So we, we actually ended up in in these rooms, which means of course, headphones and monitors and and mic placement and things like that. So um, nobody can see or hear well they can barely hear us in the pit right there are monitors right um, but, but so when i would go down into the band room i would look at the sub book and say okay this person's playing clarinet so that means they play it this way this violinist does this or whatever or this drummer does this so it's like a chess game or something in, in a way like i would take all that information and play my show accordingly Mm-hmm. especially the chamber music parts of wicked because again they're not really hearing they can't hear me very well in the pit mm-hmm. but i was expected to play with them as if we were sitting side by side right. you know so every show was different and definitely always had to be on my toes to expect the unexpected a couple of times we had um blackouts you know like the say bad weather or whatever you know or or a mic um a mic would go dead or something. Again, this is all very rare in all the years that I did this, you know. Um, but perhaps the biggest uh, upsetting, right, <laughs> surprising thing was that I broke a pedal rod oh, on wow. the harp. So what the pedal rod does is it connects um, the one of the harp pedals out of the seven through the column to the mechanisms that go on the neck of the harp. So that meant that that particular note in all of its versions, natural, flat, and sharp was not usable for the rest of the show. And so uh, it's not an immediate fix. In fact, it's best to call in an expert. So I just let the sound people know, and I let the music director know, and I had to sit out, and the keyboard players just tried to cover as much as they could. But it gave me the opportunity for the first time to sit in the pit and listen to my very own show. This was years into it. And just sit with my colleagues that I knew, that I know, but I never played with them in the same room. So even though it was surprising, it turned out to have have a nice ending <laughs> and nice. It did get, yeah it did get fixed and and i was able to play the, the very next show but uh, that was right definitely a it, it's nice that you know in a separate room you had a means of letting the music director know so i i have talked to musicians where something happened like the camera went out and they had to get to intermission before they could let them know 
we didn't yeah. we didn't have a camera we had no audio <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? yeah they, from the beginning um there's a sound guy on our side of the the stage right. and anytime i would train my any harp subs i would say okay jack go this is jack jack this is so-and-so talk to him if anything goes wrong right and literally just steps away so um so it's easy to to have communication that way <laughs> nice um th- did you have quite a few subs for wicked when when you were there yeah, so in general, they like to keep uh, the the sublist uh, quite short, especially for a big book like mm-hmm. Wicked. Um, the the heart part not only was it involved in terms of like rhythmically and everything, but it, it, there were a lot of notes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it it um, the shorter the sublist, the smaller the sublist, the more opportunities that they all have to come in and to keep fresh. Because I'm I'm sure your listeners know that you get zero rehearsals as a sub, right? You just right. sit and watch the regular play once, or I would af- actually ask them to come three times just because of the technology of being in a separate room and things like that. Um, and then you just sit and play it, and they, they expect you to play it perfectly. Right. <laughs> or you don't get approved, right? So um, it's really just a common courtesy to try to rotate and right. keep everybody fresh. So I had five subs at a time. But, you know, people would come. People would go. Um, one of my earlier my, – actually, my very first sub, he ended up moving to Switzerland. You know, he's right. a jazz harpist, the graduate of Juilliard, but he, he just moved to Switzerland. So I brought in another person. So it was a um, – Every once in a while, I would train a new person, but by the end, it was pretty stable. So nice, wow! Um, I, I love the bro- the bonus Broadway fun facts section you have in your article. It's like you've got a pedal count and you've got a gliss count, and the pedal. <laughs> so the pedal changes. It's like for for Wicked is six hundred eighty one, which sounds like a lot. It's I mean compared to Phantom uh, of the Opera, which has four hundred fifty four, but uh, uh, Hello Dolly has a thousand forty. Uh, yeah. Carousel of 1,043, and My Fair Lady comes in first place with 1,061 pedal changes. So. <laughs> exactly. And I really have to thank the harpists who were doing those shows at the time because it, we just came up with this silly idea. We're like, well, how many pedal changes do you have? You know, Let's put wow. this in the article. So I thank them for sitting there and, and individually counting their pedal changes. Yeah. So, yes, I mean, six for Wicked, you said 681. I mean, my, my feet and my legs definitely know that, like, 681 times eight shows per week, you know, that really adds up pretty quickly, but, right. but my, my fair lady definitely has a lot. There's just a lot of, um, but a lot more key changes and things in that, Pretty but it's, it, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And I think grace, my, again, grace paradise, my, my Broadway harpist mentor, I think she uh, counts her pedals for all her shows. It's just one of those little fun nice. facts she keeps track of through her entire life. And she's done so many shows. Yeah. I wonder if smartphone, like, you know, pedometer step counters, if they give you credit when you're playing harp, you know, for all those pedal changes. <laughs> That's funny that you asked that because I have this ongoing, um, I'm not even going to call it attention. It's almost like a joke, but with my current students, because mm-hmm. they all want to keep their Apple watches and stuff on one, when they're playing, when they're performing in studio class right. for that very reason. Right. I said, but it ups my, ups my step count. I'm like, I'm sorry, but it looks terrible. <laughs> you know, I'm just, you know, right. <laughs> I'm not a fan of having anything on your wrists, you know, when you're playing the harp. So um, we just have this running joke, like, take off your watch. <laughs> right. So now um, I, I was I was just comparing the, the second list with the first one I just mentioned. So you must really get a workout if you play the, the Hello Dolly book, because uh, not only does it have over a thousand pedal changes, but it has the most glisses of any harp show with 189. Right. <laughs> and then... Uh, 
Um, second place is Phantom of the Opera, 123 glisses per show. And then third place was Wicked with 102. And then you rounded out the list with a My Fair Lady with 80 and Carousel with 70. So, um, you know, not as many glisses as pedal changes, but but I think uh, a lot of listeners, I, you know, the gliss is one of those when people who are casually familiar with what or- orchestral instruments can do, you know, that's something like the harp is known for a gliss. Uh, when I first wrote a, um, yeah, I like to compare the harp with the timpani as far as like, if you're composing, you have to kind of know the limitations of the instrument. Like, you know, you can't write a chromatic scale for the harp (laughs) and have the harpist and, you know, be friends with you afterwards. Uh, (laughs) Timpani, you have to keep in mind, you have four, usually four drums with a very limited range on each drum. And it's like, um, you you know, you need to keep those for as much as you can. You can change them within reason and you got to have time to do that. But, um, the tempanist told me that I was doing timpani rolls way too often. It's like every time I got to a cadence, I'd put a, like a five, one or something like that. It was the first time I wrote for a symphonic band. And, uh-huh. and, and he just said, just in my opinion, you're overdoing this. You should take out probably a th- two thirds of them and save it for where you really want it. And that was, you know, I think I was, I was maybe still 18, you know, maybe, maybe 19 when, when I was told that. And that was, that was kind of profound. And I would think it, and no one ever told me that for harp, but I'm kind of thinking you could probably overdo harp glisses too. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it's effective when it's not every few measures you know or something like that exactly it's it's definitely um one of the most special and one of the most beautiful sound Mm -hmm. effects and and as you said it's just a basic characteristic of of the harp and the harp sound it's also very easy to overuse them it's um my closest friends know (laughs) i'm kind of an anti-gliss girl just not in that i don't like them but but because they're so overused i just get so tired of them you know so when i again when i speak with composers use them for special moments um you know it it just they sparkle so much better when they don't uh your ear gets tired of them i guess just like the timpani would be right with the the rolls at every cadence right um but definitely if you're modulating to a new key, you know, going into that new key, throw in a gliss. It's a right. really beautiful effect. Um, right. And then the other part of it is just the physical part of playing glisses. So um, traditionally, of course, you play with your fingers, right? Just one finger up, one finger down. There are mm-hmm. types of glisses where you can use more than one finger. But if you have a lot of glisses, you're going to get blisters. You right. just are. <laughs> so what I did is, um, gosh, when I was on tour like 30 years ago, I happened to go into a felt store in Munich, Germany, and they had these little round felt picks. And then, well, they weren't picks; they were just real little felt squares. Mm-hmm. And I thought, these would be perfect harp picks because mm-hmm. people use people use different things. They use like a rubber type thing or different grades of felt and stuff but these are absolutely perfect so i've been importing these felt glissando picks for 30 years and they're used all over the world now right (laughs) in you know studios in la and london and all over broadway because not only do they save our fingers but most importantly two things that are really important is they don't hurt the harp right right and they sound natural they really sound and you can get more volume with a natural sound 
Right. So why not use them? So in a lot of popular music um, and certainly Broadway and occasionally in orchestra concerts, if mm-hmm. they, if it calls for it, I, I will use my felt Cassando picks to save my fingers. Very nice. Um, oh, I did. There was one other question and I didn't, it wasn't written down because it was asked to me by my wife. Uh, it says when, uh, when you play harp for something like wicked, uh, are you providing your own instrument or are you playing on an instrument that the theater provides? Right. Yeah. So traditionally we bring our own instruments and there's a small supplement that the, that's in the union contract that helps to compensate a little bit for that because, you know, most musicians, except I guess keyboard and percussion, they come in with their own instrument. They can take it home. They can practice on it. They can use it. But our harp naturally sits at the theater, which meant I could take the subway to work, which is really fun. Right. Um, But, but it means that we have to have another, at least one other harp at home. Right. These things are very expensive. So um, there is a small financial compensation for that. But we traditionally bring in our own instruments and they sit there. So once I knew that Wicked was going to be a hit, I actually went and bought a new harp. I said, "Okay, this is a Wicked harp. It's sitting there. It's going to stay there. Um, Nice. Yeah, because you you need one at home at least. Did did you ever think about like getting a green harp for Wicked or something like that? (laughs) That's funny. I never thought of that. And nobody ever asked me that question. I've probably given over... 200 or more backstage tours and not a single person asked me that question. So Uh-oh. bravo. <laughs> oh, thanks. Uh, I, we had a, we had a good friend, um, in this area. Uh, she, she's no longer with us, unfortunately, but she was a great cellist. But when we would go to school concerts, she had a green cello just because she knew the kids would ask about that cello. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. And, and, and unfortunately it was, you know, it's, it's one of those, it's not a, it wasn't, it was by far not her best instrument as far as tone and all that, but nice. you know, it's just a nice conversation starter. So For well, sure. well, if yeah. you ever, if you ever decide to go back into wicked, got to get yourself a green harp, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great idea. I'll commission nice. it. <laughs> I feel like we've kind of covered everything else. I guess, uh, uh, yeah, this has been a good interview. Let's, uh, let's just kind of wrap up with, um, are there any special projects that you've been able to do? you know, in, in the last year during the pandemic or just anything that's going on in Miami now that you'd like to share? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for asking. Um, a couple of different things. I, um, I'm the artistic director of the American Harp Society's National Conference, which was supposed to happen last summer and got postponed to this summer. And now it's been postponed for two more years. So, um, I've been working on that and it's all, um, jazz and pop based, which is there. We've never had a conference like that before. So I'm really excited about it. And just being in touch with harpists all over the world and the enthusiasm, we had an entire, um, an entire, uh, edition of the American Harp Journal that I that I edited that was based on, on jazz and pop as well in correlation to that. So that's been a lot of fun to work on. Um, it's unfortunate that everybody everything got postponed, but completely understandable. And we're just excited to to get to recreate our original programming in a couple of years. Um, so I've been working on that. I've been working really hard at my new job at the Frost School of Music, um, University right. of Miami, and recruitment's up five hundred percent from before yeah. I came, and I'm super excited about that. Uh, excellent students, undergrad and graduate students. Um, I'm teaching a Shinkarian analysis class to graduate students. That okay. was my 
theory major, so that's been been a lot of fun to do. Um, I'm playing in a new music ensemble here. We're actually going to have a concert nice. uh, in June, which is good. And then, and finally, I'm going to return to an opera festival in the summer in New Hampshire that I've been doing off and on since the mid-1980s. We're doing Bohem this year. And the reason uh, we're able to do it, and they were able to do it last summer, is that it's at a farm. Wow. Yeah, they were nice. playing at a farm nice. outside. They, they cut the choir just to, to minimize risks, you know, and, and I think the orchestra is going to be a little bit smaller, but they actually did have a season last summer. They didn't include harp, but we're going to be doing Bohem this summer and it's called Upper North in uh, Cornish, New Hampshire. So looking forward to that. And then writing an article about the Debussy trio. So I'm okay. uh, that's my latest, I, I do a lot of writing and articles and editing and stuff. So that's my latest article that I'm working on is the, the trio for uh, flute, viola and harp, which I coached last semester and we'll do again in the fall um but there are a couple of different editions out there and uh, i really want to get to the bottom of it and take a look at the originals and do one of those scholarly articles for the american harp drill again because i love doing that kind of stuff too great um and the last question where can people find out more about you or follow you oh fantastic thank you for asking um my my name is busy tuning that's okay. uh, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, so busy tuning because we do a lot of tuning for sure. <laughs> um, and then my website is wickedharp.com, though I'm thinking about changing it to something else because that really, you know, is more about when I was uh, living in New York for so long. But um, right. but for now, it's wickedharp.com. Well, I do know if you just hang on to that domain name, you can redirect it. People type it in and it can go to whatever your new one is. So. Uh, I, yeah, for my for my teaching students, I give them lanelessons.com because amazingly no one else had t- taken that. So, but it goes to davidlanemusic.com slash lessons. <laughs> you know? wow, so, so it's kind of funny. Yeah. So um, can, can I mention one other thing that I forgot? About? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So um, another thing that I do is I, I um, specialize in playing um, box music on the harp. I've been doing this for a long time. It was my dissertation at, at Michigan, my doctoral dissertation. So um, I've, I've been on doing a lot of Zoom masterclasses with that. Right. And it's really, that's one of the upsides as you know, a lot of people talk about one of the upsides of the pandemic, the silver lining, so to speak, is that um, the generosity of people wanting musicians wanting to share with each other and that's very much true in the harp community as well like i have people visiting my harp studio here and, you know, and sharing their expertise and then i'll talk to their students you know manchester and uh, england and and all over the united states um about bach and i'm just um determined to help inspire harpists to, to really appreciate this very challenging music. Cause as we talked about earlier, yeah. the harp uh, has its challenges with chromatic music and box music is some of the most chromatic tonal music anyway. Um, but there are certain pieces, a lot of his, his music that is absolutely beautiful on the harp if we do so um, in careful ways. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I look forward to continue doing the master classes as well. Great, yeah. Another pandemic project is I received a grant to commission a composer here in Miami. He's the head of the theory department, theory and composition department at Frost School of Music. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's going to be he's written two out of five pieces for solo harp and soundscapes. Now, what I mean by that, and this was this was our collaborative idea, is that um, 
Miami is such a colorful place, right. and, and not only visually, but sonically. And so um, we're creating these soundscapes of specific locations mm. in Miami. So the two that have been done so far are our front front yard, which we live in the neighborhood of Coconut Grove in right. Miami, and there, there are peacocks everywhere. Wow. And especially during mating season, the peacocks are very vocal. Um, so we did a lot of, my my partner is uh, Chris Carlton, and he's a, an audio engineer. He's We met on the Streisand tours. Hmm. And uh, so he did a lot of recording of the, the peacocks, the mating calls, and also after the babies were born with the rain and the wind and the chimes. And he turned this into this beautiful, creative soundscape that um, Chuck Mason, Charles Mason, who's the composer, he wrote the heart part too. So it's going to be, nice. you can play the piece either by itself or with the soundscape, preferably with the soundscape. So we have... Um, that's called Sakafi because that's the name of our street. And then we have um, Caraggio, which is the name of our boat, a sailboat. And so this is all sea sounds, like being on a, on a sailboat right. with the wind and the sea and everything. And then there are several location-specific ones. Vizcaya is the name of an old... Um, it's almost like a castle that's here. That's a museum now with all made of limestone with really fascinating acoustics. Hmm. So we're going to record there and uh, Plymouth Congregational Church, which again is a nice, beautiful, old, wonderfully um, acoustic location. And then the women's club as well. So it's like all Coconut Grove. They, the piece is called Coconut Grove and it's five pieces for solo harp and related soundscape. So we're super excited about that. And the, it's going to be premiered at the harp conference when it finally happens. Nice. So. Okay. Um, well, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. This has been a lot of fun. It's uh, really, thank you so much. It's an honor to speak with you. It's, it's definitely been a lot of fun and uh, I look forward to following your podcast in, in the future as well. And that wraps up episode number 56. Uh, once again, as a reminder, there is no, will not be a show next week, but I will have the next show uh, the following week, coming out on July 23rd, and that'll be a good one. And I hope to catch you back here once again. As a reminder, if you want to follow what's coming up next, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Life in the Pit Pod. You can follow me on Instagram at David Lane Music or Twitter and Facebook at David M. Lane Music. And as always, a special thank you to Mark Parolo for his cover art and to Bill Cisna for providing the introduction to this podcast. The theme music is composed and performed by David Lane. You can find out more about this podcast, leave feedback, or leave a donation at davidlanemusic.com slash podcast. Please rate and review on the Apple Podcast app, and please share with your friends. Thank you for listening.